0: Today's scripture comes from the books of Psalm 99 verses 1 through 5 and Revelation 21 verse 22 through 22 verse 5. Psalm 99 1 through 5 says, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Revelation 21, 22 through 22, 5 says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more; they will need no night, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Okay, this is it, part 17 of biblical justice. And um, this message that I'm gonna that I'm gonna give today is called seeking agency and development. It's really um, a message about hope. It's 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 a challenge for how you look at people in light of the gospel, in light of what God is doing in history, and and a lot of people I don't think understand this today. You know, justice is primarily uh, it, it seems it's, it it seems to offer a lot of anger actually. Um, justice, you know, there's there's people who are oppressing, there's people who are failing justice, and it produces a lot of anger. And there's some justification for that, but that isn't really, I think, the ultimate um, goal and purpose of biblical justice, of God's justice. And actually, this thing I'm going to preach today, it really could deserve a whole nother 10 more. Uh, this, it could really deserve its own series, but um, we have to stop at some point, okay? <laughs> we have to stop and learn other things, okay? There's a lot of things in the Bible And, um, so I'll be really honest with you. I'm I'm actually quite, I woke up going, yes, we're going to stop on biblical justice. Uh, prepping these sermons has been no picnic. Um, there's so many painful things. And then especially trying to apply them into our culture where there's, there's so much division and disagreement and and, and anger. That's, it's, uh, it's been quite something. And so I really hope that this series and especially this last message. I hope I do not want you to think this last message is like, okay, it's okay. We've already gone through all the hard stuff, and then let's just you know work and clip it. This is actually a tremendously important message. And in some in some ways, if you only just remember little pieces of the other previous message, but you remember this one, I'll actually be very very happy. Right? Um, I hope this message will resonate and stay with us as a church. Um, because in some ways, this is the fundamental attitude, the attitude and and, and and outlook where I think justice points us as we look at other people. Um, and so, okay. I think that's enough. Let's start. Okay? Part one. Let's say part one. God's justice seeks the potential of the nations. God's justice seeks the potential of all the different cultures and tribes and the nations, okay? Part two, empowering agency and human development through God-given gifts and assets. I don't think it's the way we tend to think. We tend to think it's the powerful people, and we're going to go do justice. You can never do justice apart from the, the folks who have been vulnerable in our culture. They share in how we do justice. They're invited to be empowered. They're invited to have become agents. And then for their whole human potentiality to be developed. So empowering agency and human development through God-given gifts and assets. And part three, the Lamb's tree of life healing the nations to yield its fruit. The Lamb's tree of life healing the nations to yield its fruit. Um, let's get into it. Part one. Um, I want to say I want to just take us a little bit back toward the beginning. We've gone a really long way in this series, and I started this series by saying that justice isn't actually about fairness. <laughs> that that in the human in the human heart we have this idea of fairness, and I think in some sense it was put there by God, but then because we don't actually have the heart of God, the wisdom of God, the plan of God, and of course not the grace and glory of God. We, we turn this fairness thing into something that's twisted. And we fill it with so much of our own agenda and of our own righteousness. And then, and then it turns into a lot, of, a lot of strange things. It turns into guilt, for we failed the failness. It turns into resentment that somebody else seems to have more than we do. And that we got the wrong end of the deal. And um, I just want to start here. And perhaps nowhere is this, I think, really clear than in today's message. That in today's message, God has a plan for how all of the nations. And this is really important, including the poor and downtrodden nations. In history, whenever you, you learn about history... Nobody cares about the poor and downcharted nations. We're starting to have some correction of that in our in, in our in our education, which is not a bad thing. But it's usually kind of done with like, you know, the, the browner folks, nobody ever paid attention to them. You know, the whiter folks were the bad folks, the Christian folks were the bad folks, and now, you know, people are trying to actually look at history from the other point of view, which is I don't think a bad thing, right? But um, but in God's point of view, he never forgot the, smaller, the so-called smaller people. And justice is really that. That when God looks at human beings, I, I, I told you in this series, justice isn't some kind of like flat, abstract idea of fairness. That really what it is, is it's something far bigger than that. It's, it's an attribute of God himself. So it can never fail, it's got to go forward. And that the ju- and justice is really, it's part of His holy love for all peoples. So whether it's an individual, you know, we, 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 we had a little announcement about, about Walk for Life, um, an unborn fatherless child. Um, so God names the people that in the world regularly is just completely unseen. We don't see them, we don't care about them, we regularly look down upon them, we regularly exploit them. All our systems and are, are, are built for the more powerful and comfortable people. And so if somebody is fatherless, or somebody is fatherless and a vulnerable woman, if somebody's fatherless a vulnerable woman, and of a downtrodden minority, a forgotten minority. And in, in a lot of cases, that is, that is, that's exactly the case. Who are the vulnerable in our culture? They often fall into all three categories. And so the Bible gives this way of saying, follow God's justice so you can see people. We could see people the way God sees people. And... Fairness is actually not the agenda of God. You know what he's interested in? God's agenda is his great love for them, and justice is his demand. It's actually his demand that don't you dare look down on these people and crush them. And don't you dare look at them and think that they're, they're just, you know, this is so much at the seat of the way of, of, of so much injustice. We look at, a, we look at some people, and they're a certain skin color or they're, they're poor, or they're not that educated. However, you know, I, I don't know what class of people you're thinking about. Right? I mean, I immediately think of certain kinds of people, whether they're in our society or they're around the world. And immediately in the world, the expectation of such people is slim to nothing. What do we expect of them? That they're, they're not going to do much that they cannot do much, that they will not do much. In fact, oftentimes, there is this kind of prejudicial notion that they're the backward and bad kind of people, and, um, and we have to keep them kind of away from us. And they're going to become criminals. And regularly, all throughout history, you even have just whole ideologies that arise that say these kind of people, um, their bloodlines, their culture will corrupt our pure kind of people. And even today, we think we're so much above this kind of, of, of ugly way of looking down at certain kinds of people, but I think in our culture, it's totally alive. And what it is, is it's, it's about how you look fundamentally at people, especially the weakest, the most vulnerable. And when God sees them, he doesn't see them as like nothing people. He sees in them profound potentiality. And his plan is to take us to a glorious new heavens and new earth, a city of God, as I, as I preached to you last week. And every nation will bring forth all their glories. And each, if each of their glories is something different and beautiful, it's not fair, is it? It's not a like fairness because that's too weak of a word. In other words, God is better than fair. He's far better than fair. How do you compare someone whose glory is music versus someone whose glory is cooking? Someone whose glory is is, is how they speak versus someone whose glory is how they build things. And then these people go, okay, well, these people are really good at building things, and these people are really good at building things, but they do it in totally different ways. Their perception of beauty is very different. These people are really great singers. These people are really great singers. But my goodness, when they sing, it's beautiful one way. When they sing, it's beautiful another. Is it fair? What is fair? What the heck is equal in this context? There's just a beauty that just just goes on and on. Well, everybody will bring their gifts. That's what the Bible is teaching. Okay, let, let's just, let me say a little something about these verses. Um, psalm 99. And so, let me say something about Psalm 99. Psalm 99 is what uh, some scholars would call a messianic psalm. Actually, so many of the psalms are, are messianic psalms. As I've been going through, the, you know, we're, for those of you who are following our, 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 you know, our devotional content, uh, it's like almost all of them are messianic psalms. But let me just show it to you. And then I want to say something, one other thing about the Messianic Psalms. A lot of them are what scholars would call eschatological psalms. Okay, that's a big word. What does eschatological mean? Eschatos is Greek for of the final things. Eschatology is the study of the final, ultimate things. So when we say this is an eschatological psalm, it is a psalm about God's king, the Messiah, and what it's going to be like when it's final and ultimate. And so there's just many of these kinds of things, and it seems rather simple. And so especially if you grow up, maybe if you grew up in the church, and you've maybe even read these kinds of psalms, but uh, do you think that it's really about the new heavens or the new earth? So let me just show it to you, okay? Psalm 99 um, goes like this. So let's just go to verse 2. Well, we might as well start verse 1, okay? The Lord, this is Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, his name, reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake, okay? So that just seems, okay, God is reigning over everything. That doesn't seem earth-shattering, interesting. Verse 2, the Lord Yahweh is great in Zion, (laughs) is great in Zion, now, for those of you who, um, what, what, what's Zion? <laughs> and uh, if, you were, if you were here last week, Zion is the city of God. <laughs> There's so many people tend to think that we're living in history and then we're going to die and then God's going to take us to some kind of like ethereal paradise called heaven. That isn't really the teaching of, of, of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible is God's glory is going to come down to earth that heaven comes down to earth and that God will build a city, that there will be a city. And that's what Revelation 21 and 22 says. And in, in the Old Testament, they have a name for the city. The city is called Zion. It's interesting that they would call it Zion. Um, in, when you get to Revelation 21 and 22, they call it the New Jerusalem. But in the they call it Zion. It's the same, same place. And so let's just follow. The Lord is great in Zion, in the city of God. So as soon as you know you're talking about the city of God, we're talking about eschatological, the ultimate, the ultimate promise, right? Where heaven comes down to earth to form a city. He is exalted over all the peoples. Very simple way of putting it, all the nations are there. All the peoples, Plural. It's funny how um, generations upon generations upon generations of Jews can read this text. And they regularly think of, of the promises of God as primarily a Jewish thing. It's, it's weird how that is the case. Now, I'm not trying to uh, dog on, on, on Jewish people. You know, you know why I think they're like that? Because everybody's like that. <laughs> they're not especially strange Everybody is ethnocentric. Everybody is. They, they look at the world and they apprehend it through their culture. and Whatever they think about heaven is, it's whatever you, your culture thinks about heaven is. But I know you, we can have this kind of flat idea, this idea that it's going to be all the nations. But I want you to think about this. We live in a city with a lot of different nations. But... For most of history, that hasn't been the case. And for a lot of the world, even now, in global capitalism, it's still not the case. We're starting to get a feel for what it's like when the nations start to live together in the same city. And you know what we regularly find out? That we, for, we prefer injustice. <laughs> we prefer racism. We prefer making sure those people stay over there and looking down on them, especially if they're fatherless. That's what it's like. Um, Let's let's continue. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Verse 4. The king. Now, so these are simple little things. The king. But it's really important. Up to this point, the Lord reigns. Yahweh reigns. Yahweh is great in Zion. But you get to verse 4. The king. All of a sudden it changes. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt. Now all of a sudden it's back to the Lord. Yahweh, our God, worship at his footstool. Holy is he. It's interesting. And up to this point, up to this point, if there's a king, he has to be a man. And so who are we talking about here? Who are we talking about here? And so, Hebrew scholars throughout the years would see this thing, and so they would see the king. This is no, this is this is a special king, the son of David, and even they could not understand that when you get so. Let me I'll just. Okay, it sounds a little nerdy, but let me just follow me here. Okay, this is the way the Bible operates. Scholars study this, and they say this. So, verse one and two: the Lord reigns; the Lord is great in Zion. Verse four: the king. Verse 5, exalt the Lord. So do you see it? Yahweh, Yahweh, the king, Yahweh. You see it? It's kind of like the king is a his sandwich, is like the meat, is the middle of the meat of the two pieces of bread. Yahweh, Yahweh, the king. You know what the Bible's telling us? Yahweh's the king. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's not that complicated. But for Jews, they said, but the king has always got to be a man. See? Let's go to um, just Revelation 21. Now, I, I can't take all the time. Uh, I just want to review this part. So if you, if you didn't hear last week's message, I unpacked this Revelation 21. So I can't take all I just want to quickly review, okay? So here's what it says. Um, I saw no temple in the city. Its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is a lamb. And 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 I shared with you last week, everybody builds their temple according to whatever is their light that they love. Finally, there'll be a time and a city when all the nations, the light that they love will be the lamb. And by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and the gates will be will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. And so people will bring their glories into it. And and, I don't know if you ever think about this. um, Is it because I'm a pastor? I don't know. (laughs) it's, It's part of my job. I think about Zion all the time. I think about the city of God all the time. I go to a city when I'm traveling. You know, we go into Chicago. My my family's going to take a trip to Chicago soon, okay? And I'm going to be very interested to see how Chicago compares to, you know, Silicon Valley. And it's obvious that neither of them are Zion. (laughs) But human beings, we 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 build cities. We build cities. But will we build just cities? Of all the nations. And will we not look down upon somebody because they're fatherless? Or because they are the ethnicity that we don't like? Or don't know? Or don't care about? And, um, but the Bible says all the nations will bring their glories. They're going to bring their glories. They're not going to just bring their poverty. They're going to bring something that is so tremendously beautiful because the Bible doesn't use the word glory lightly. They're going to bring their glories, and so if any of you ever think that that like uh, heaven is going to be a boring place, it's funny how today so many people—it's like you want you go when you, when we go when you want to go um, travel. I don't know what you guys are like. Don't you always want to go to a beautiful place? It's like we have got a vacation. Let's go to Fresno. <laughs> okay, I'm, okay, I don't mean to be... Okay, If you're from Fresno, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been to Fresno. There's a good reason why nobody wants to go there on vacation, okay? It's, it's not that interesting, right? Okay? Let's go to Barstow, California. That, that's a really depressing place. When, when I drove through Barstow, I was like, oh my goodness, this is like the town that everybody is trying to forget. It's, it's pretty depressing. When we go on vacation, you want to go to Paris. You know? There's, there's a reason why the world comes to San Francisco. It's just a really beautiful city. All the hills, the bridge, it's just gorgeous. Right? And I never thought it was interesting until I moved away from the area and then I drove to like Cincinnati and I said, Oh, it's very mediocre. <laughs> okay. It's a nice city but I see why people don't make this a destination. But there will be a city. Its glories will far surpass, and every nation will bring all their glories. You could put Hong Kong and New York and Paris, San Francisco and L.A., you name it. You put them all together, and it will be nothing compared to this city. You think you'll be bored there? I don't think so. Let's go to part two. I want to talk about um, agency and human development. So, so much of this mess of, of, of this series has been about how we fail and break, and 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 are break and exploit and forget the downtrodden. I wanted to leave us with like, what does it look like when you're actually doing justice? And it's not like what I think our culture looks like at all. It looks very, it's, it's certainly not about politics. <laughs> I think the reason why our, our, our culture wants to talk about it in politics is because our, our powerful people feel guilty and then they immediately reach for power because that's what they got. They have power. And then they reach for power, and then they go on to call it justice. But I don't think that's the way God does it. When God does it, he sent his son to be born in dirt-poor circumstances. Hmm. That's what justice looked like to God. When God was doing justice, he walks through um, an area Where the culture at the time is just rife with tremendous hatred and racism. And what does he do? He he strikes up a he just breaks all the social rules and strikes up a conversation and takes her into goes right into her deepest humanity. And what is he doing? He's inviting her to be an agent of her life, not a victim of the culture not a victim of Samaritan culture, not a victim of Jewish culture, but to, have, to empower her to be an agent. That's what he's doing. And I want to just, and, and, and just challenge you, You know, the next time you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, I want you to think about justice this way. That all these books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's justice in action. God, just God, he shows up. He's doing justice all the time. That's what he's doing. Short guy, short guy ripping off people because he's a tax collector, a traitor to his people. He's doing justice there, right? Prostitute breaks in, you know, to this dinner, table, this dinner party where <laughs> she doesn't belong, and she cries at his feet. And all the powerful people look at her, like grossed out and offended. And he's doing justice there. You see it? I want you to think about that. And I want to give you um, like one tremendously important wisdom insight, which I think this is, the, this is really walks in the way Jesus does justice. And that is, is will you look at people's gifts you look at their potentiality, don't you dare look at them and feel sorry for them. <laughs> so many of us, we look at people primarily with pity and as victims. Especially if you're like, you know, our city is, is a, it's, we're one of the privileged cities. This literally, this area, is, it's the county with the highest median household income in all of America. I don't know if you know that. So if you are below the median in this county, you're like richer than like practically like the vast majority of America. So if, you, if you're in the middle of the county and you're like, I don't feel like I'm rich, just we're privileged people. But you look at a certain kind of people, and if your immediate reaction is pity or, or to see them as victims then I want to challenge you to think that maybe you're not thinking about justice the way God thinks about justice. Because he doesn't see them like that. He sees them as something more than that. Now, in the world, they may be, but you see, they may be hurt. They may even be victims. But you see, for God, nobody's ever a permanent victim. Hmm? Redemption is never to let anybody be a victim forever forever. It's to give them full-on, God-given human potentiality and agency. That's, like, that's the word we use today, being and having agency. So I want to give you a, a, a really important piece of wisdom. So this is a book, tremendously important book. When Helping Hurts, written by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert. I, I actually think that every Christian should read this book. We should translate this book. Into every language in the world, and we should all read this book, especially in the subject matter that we've been talking about justice. Now, um, so many people think about this primarily as like mercy ministry. Well, let me make a little comment about that. What's the difference between justice and mercy? We look at mercy as like helping the poor. You know what justice is? It's God's demand, it's God's threat. That if we will not be merciful, we will be judged. it's actually it's like think of mercy on fear and steroids. It's that's kind of what mercy, justice is. But so many times Christians think about mercy as like if we go and help the poor, it's kind of like extra credit Christianity. Most of the time, I have to figure out how to like be comfortable in my life, which means running the The work and socioeconomic rat race. And mercy is this thing we put in the back. It's kind of like extra credit for Christians. But as soon as you... Let's change the word. Justice. All of a sudden... I mean, I've been preaching this series. You you guys look scared sometimes. (laughs) And you should. I am. I'm scared to preach it. I'm scared in the middle of the week. I'm prepping it. But really... Justice and mercy. Justice is mercy demanded by God. <laughs> okay? Now, what can it look like? So I want to I give you this. There's a, there's a tremendous chapter in this book. It's called, Give Me Your Tired, Your Poor, and Their Assets. Give Me Your Tired, Your Poor, and Their Assets. And he talks about um, what he calls common approaches to ABCD. A, B, C, D. What's A, B, C, D? Asset-based community development. Can you guys remember that? Everybody, let's say that together. Asset-based community development. Let's say it one more time. Asset-based community development. And um, actually, you know, it's not like you know, only Christians understand this, but Christians, we have a fundamental theological worldview where this is from God himself, but even non-Christians have started to figure this out, actually. So, um, you know, he actually cites, there's a group called Acid-Based Community Development Institute at Northwestern University in Greater Chicago. It's one of our, our great universities in America, and they know this. So, um, this book was, one of the co-writers of this book is Brian Fickert. So, uh, Steve Corbett, I believe, is a pastor, a missionary, and he served among, um, I'm not sure which people group, but they're, they're pretty poor. The other writer is Brian Fickert, Brian Fickert is um, is an economics professor at Covenant College. And Covenant for those of you who don't know, you know, Covenant College is one of the colleges in our denomination. <laughs> We're in the Presbyterian Church in America. So he's he's one of our he's right in our tribe. And he's um, not just an economics professor, he's an elder at his church. And I've actually met him. <laughs> Brian Fickert, let me just tell you a little bit about what he what he's like. Brian Fickert is six feet ten. <laughs> He's six feet ten. He's a really, really big white dude. <laughs> and the reason that I met him is um, at the church where Grace and I were active when we were in Philadelphia during my PhD years. Um, he came and he was a guest speaker, and he led, he led an adult Sunday school lesson. And really what he did was he taught us, like, you know, key, key concepts out of this book, When Helping Hurts. And I still remember this story. And um, so he told this story. So just think about it. he he's literally, you 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 actually think, is that guy's head gonna hit the ceiling? <laughs> actually, if you have you ever really met a six foot ten person, it's completely weird. <laughs> um he's he's gigantic, and um, so he was telling the story, and really what he, what he offers is one one of the things you do is you go into a hurting broken community, and then what you do is you map their assets, that's what they call it, asset mapping, and the reason is this, if you walk in there and say, what are your needs, what are your needs, you know what it says, if you ask, what are your needs, the, the conversation is about what's wrong with them, <laughs> can you just can see how it goes, what are your needs, well, our, our, there's a lot of crime in our neighborhood, <laughs> Our schools are really bad, you know? The women feel really, really vulnerable because the, there's nobody they can marry. It's things like that. So that conversation makes them feel really low and ashamed. And they already feel low and ashamed. Because the human beings aren't dumb. Just because they're poor, don't you ever think they're dumb? Because they have eyes, <laughs> They can see if their kids are, are, are doing well. They can see if their parents are doing well, they can see if there's crime in their neighborhood or if the houses look dilapidated, or if they're, you know they can see all those things. And then they go to other neighborhoods, and they can see those things too, and they feel the shame. So one of the things that people have learned is don't go in there asking, what's your need. You actually flip it around. You say. Hey, what what are your gifts? That's the question. And he goes and he says, it seems kind of silly, but it's incredibly powerful. And so I'm going to read the story. He says, although this sounds rather mechanical, you know, you go in a neighborhood and you start knocking on doors. Hey, what are your assets? What are you good at? He says, it sounds mechanical. This approach has potential has potential power as a starting point for developing, empowering relationships. A lot of justice is not about about politics or about money or power. You know what it's about? Relationships. I want you to think about this. The fatherless, it's about a relationship. (laughs) Widows, it's about a relationship issue. Even the minority, it's about relationship issues. It's not about skin color issues. It's not even about money issues. It's about relationship issues. So I'm going to read this. It's a great story, right? I still remember him telling this story. I wish we could just pull him in here to to tell the story. It's even better when he tells it, but you'll just have to hear it, okay? This is Brian Fickard. I learned this firsthand, firsthand when I participated in an asset mapping exercise as part of a Sunday school class on community development at my church. During the Sunday school hour, our class visited a low-income housing project with which we wanted to develop a relationship. Each member of the class individually went door-to-door saying to people, Hello, I am from Community Presbyterian Church, the church, you know, over there. We are conducting a survey today to find out what gifts God has placed in this community. What skills and abilities do you have? That's what you're supposed to say. The truth is that I wanted to die. <laughs> That's what he put it. Racial tensions are still very present in our city. So I knew there would be at least some social discomfort for both the African American residents of this housing project and for me. Can you imagine it? Six foot ten white guy that can't hide anywhere <laughs> walking into a housing project with a lot of black folks. So he's like a really smart PhD guy who's a professor, good Christian college, okay? And so he's he's like scared and really nervous to do this, okay? Furthermore, my height can be quite startling and intimidating Adding awkwardness to virtually all first encounters, I'll bet. <laughs> and finally, the words I was supposed to repeat sounded totally hokey to me. <laughs> Hello, I' from community Prep uh, you know, oh gosh, <laughs> I' was like, saying, do I really have to say this? <laughs> I would rather be selling Girl Scout cookies. I had a bad attitude about this exercise. And wish I had chosen to attend the Sunday school class that was talking about like Presbyterianism or something like that. Something easy. Mm -hmm. But I had chosen this class. So here I was. I got to do this thing. That's what we're doing in the class. So the 30-something-year-old African-American woman who cracked open the door slightly. She just opened it up slightly. She was about five foot two. Giving her a wonderful view of my belly. She looked up at me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the way one would look at one's first sight of a Martian. I tried not to flinch, and then I launched into my pitch. Blah, 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 I'm from the church. She said, what? Looking even more incredulous than before. I knew she was thinking to herself, the Martian can talk. (laughs) but He's sure saying some weird stuff. I swallowed hard, and I repeated. So he said, "Uh, what skills do you have? Uh, What are you good at doing? She said, what? (laughs) And then I repeated my question again, asking God to add, you know, God, would you please put some jewels to my crown that I have to do this? (laughs) I I, I have a phrase for this. I'm like, Jesus, since I'm doing this, can I get a star on my chart? (laughs) This is what I call getting a star on my chart from Jesus when I'm doing something that I just feel like it's making me super miserable, okay? And I'm doing it for Jesus. So getting past her incredulousness at the entire situation, the lady said sheepishly, I can cook, I guess. Suddenly, a a voice from the dark unknown behind the lady shouted, she can cook chitlins like there's no tomorrow. (laughs) Another voice yelled, "Yeah, ain't nobody can cook as good as she can." Slowly, a smile spread across her face, and she said, "Yes, I think I can cook. I bet you she can cook." Next thing I know, I'm I'm, I found myself sitting in the living room with about six African Americans gathered around. I live in the South. Okay, the college is in Tennessee. This doesn't tend to happen. <laughs> That's what he said. Not sure what to do, I went back to my script. And then they took it from there. This is Joe. He can fix bikes. Whenever one of the kids in the project has a bike that needs fixing, Joe is the man. A smile spread across Joe's face. And this here is Mac. How is your car running? If you ever have trouble with your car, bring it right here to Mac. I noticed that Mac started to sit up a little straighter in his chair. They went on and on bragging about one another, and all I had to do was sit there and write it all down. Right? So I want to share this. You know, we started a process of empowerment by asking a very simple question. What gifts do you have? When one is feeling marginalized, such a question can be nothing short of revolutionary. (laughs) Revive. That's a really good question. And when we ask that question, it should never just be an exercise and it shouldn't be like, oh, the right thing to do. We ask that question because we know, we know, we know that the King of Justice put gifts in them, so that one day in Zion they're going to show us these gifts, and we'll be blown away. That's justice. That's justice. Um, I don't know. I was. Um, I'll give you just one more illustration, and then we got to close. And I'll, then we'll try not to take this too long. Um, I've been thinking about this this week. Um, You know, I'm Korean American. And uh, I was born in Korea, 1971. I was born in the city of Korea, the city, Seoul, right? And Seoul in 1971 was a poor country. I mean, it's a poor city. The whole country is poor. And Korea today, I, I was texting back and forth with one of my pastor friends who's also Korean American. And we were laughing our heads off. At his own church, he talks about how the 40-something-year-old Korean woman, there's a Korean woman who, who is, like, kind of cool with the teenage kids in the church. And, you know, not all the teenage kids are Korean. I mean, like, they're all different ethnicities because she talks K-pop with those kids. Because K-pop is cool and Korean is cool. And when we talk about this, we're like, when I was a kid, Korean was so not cool. <laughs> When I was a kid, they would say, what are you? I'm, I'm like, I'm living in my black neighborhood. What are you? I live in my white neighborhood. What are you? Are you Chinese? No. Are you Japanese? No. I'm Korean. What is that? <laughs> that <was> quite, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> that, that? I'm not making that up. That's what it was like. And when, well, why wouldn't that be the case? Korea is a small country between two mightier nations. You know, militaristically mightier that is, and regularly they're oppressed. <laughs> these guys show up, <laughs> trying to crush them. Then these guys show up and trying to crush them, and regularly, you know, Korean history is regularly these guys trying to show up and trying to wipe out the culture and the language. These trying to show up and wipe out the culture and the language, and so if you get if you go into Korea today, there's quite a bit of Japanese influence and quite a bit of Chinese influence. Right into the language, the downtrodden people um i watched this um i watched this um uh, this uh show on Netflix called space force any of you watch this show like one other person yeah it was, it's such a great show, not okay it's an okay show it's got it's laughs and so it's about starting a new agency you know. You know where you know, we're going to have rockets and go up, you know, into space, etc. But there's this one portion of one episode that reminded me of Zion. <laughs> so there's a young man, and um, um, let me see if I wrote, wrote this down. He's a brilliant young Chinese scientist. His name is Dr. Chan Kai Fang, right? And as you kind of find out, you you kind of find out that he kind of likes black women. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's a funny little thing that comes out as, as, as you watch the show. And then there's a really lovely young woman, of course, and her name is uh, Captain Angela Ali, and she's black. And she wants to be an astronaut. And she's, you know, she's, a, she's a captain in the Air Force. And uh, you can kind of see this coming, right? The brilliant Chinese engineering scientist, you know, starts to have a thing for, you know, the the beautiful and tough um, black Air Force captain who wants to be an astronaut. And they get assigned to go to this, you know, they have to go to do something, you know, they get assigned to do something. And on the way back, they're both driving in the car and she turns on (laughs) K-pop and she starts doing the motion. She's like, she's like doing all the motions. And he goes, you like K-pop? She's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. She goes, well, you know. She's like, well, K-pop. They took, a, you know, it's a lot of black people's music. She goes, okay, we'll just let that go, which is completely true. It's totally true. Since so she said that, I was like, oh, I'm glad she said that. It's so true. Have you ever thought about that? These young Indian and Chinese kids love K-pop, but they're listening to a glory that came from black Americans, really. That's what they're listening to. And so she's into it, and the Chinese guy, he likes it too, but he doesn't want to admit it. <laughs> so she starts doing all these motions, and he's like, you know, of course, he's so, so impressed. And then he kind of goes, he starts doing the motions too, and they're both sitting there in the car doing these K-pop motions. And, and while I was sitting there, I was thinking, our people were a nothing people. And we received glories of God from another set of people that the world saw as nothing. And now that glory is going out into the world. Now this is just the way it is. We're not in Zion. (laughs) This is not Zion. But what I want to do is just give you, it's like a little piece of what Zion is going to be like. So I started thinking about this. What's it gonna be like when, um, you know, the Botswanans build skyscrapers? What will it be like when the Chileans do hip hop? Hmm? What will it be like when the next great, truly great violinist of the world comes out of the Philippines, see? This is <laughs> Zion. When you look at the people, don't look at them as nothing. Don't look at them as victims. That's why you have to ask these questions. What did God give you? Let's close. Um, I didn't preach on the chapter 22 verses, and, but let me give you something from the chapter 22 verses. So, Revelation 22. This is the last half of the Bible. The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. So there's a tree. There's a river of life. There's a tree of life right in the middle of the city, Zion. The New Jerusalem. The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Incredibly efficient language. Let me tell you two beautiful gifts of this. Number one, the tree of life will be for the healing of the nations. So in the Bible, there are three important trees. In the beginning of Genesis, there's a the tree of life. You eat this tree, and you live forever. And then there's a the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You eat that tree, and you die. And then you don't get to eat of the tree of life. That's the way the Bible opens. But then there's another tree that comes. There's a tree that comes where Yahweh comes to be a king. It is the king's tree of enthronement. It is a tree where all our injustice and our shame and our racism and our oppression dies on that tree. You know which tree I'm talking about, right? It is the cross. It is the tree of death which becomes the tree of life. There'll be this tree. All the nations. There'll be the leaves that come off the tree of life, and then there's going to be these. <laughs> this is how the Revelation talks. The trees for the healing. Of the, the leaves of the of the trees were for the healing of the nations, and then there's going to be the, all these different kinds of fruit. Twelve fruit doesn't mean there's only going to be twelve fruit. I mean every kind of fruit of glory. When people take in and eat off of the tree of life, the Lamb of God, the King, the Messiah of the city of God. And one more gift, and we'll close out this message in this series. It says this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the thorn of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And this verse, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. So i just let's let's end this with. If you're fatherless, and if you are the wrong skin color, your mom is a widow, she's she was a downtrodden, maybe she became a prostitute, wrong skin color. Her, she was fatherless, you got no father. When you meet the king. You don't look at his face. You don't look at his face. You meet another important person, you look down. <laughs> um, many years I've been going on to a Native American reservation. I learned something when I went on to Native American reservation. In America, if you want to show somebody's respect, you look them in the eye. Right? Don't you all know that? So I started doing that for all the Native Americans. I'd look them straight in the eye. You know what I found out? They look down. They look down. It's normal if you're a downtrodden people, you look down. They don't look at you in the face. But here it says they will go to the city and they'll see his face. And his name will be on their forehead. You know what that means? You were fatherless. You were forgotten. You were exploited. You were murdered. You were sold off. Everybody had no expectations of you. But Jesus will say, "My name is on your head <laughs> That's my name on you. Look at my face. You are loved. You are whole. Now pour out your glory and contribute into my city. That's what it's for. Let's pray. Lord, we um One day we'll see your face. There's so many people that can barely even look at other human faces. They're so used to other faces looking down on them. They're so used to other faces expecting so nothing of them or actually even expecting bad things from them. Can this be true? This is the last chapter of your word. In the last chapter of your word, it says that justice is going to end here. This is what justice is going to do. You, the king of justice and equity, Justice and righteousness. Your face will shine upon all the so called little nations. Your name will be on their forehead and they will look into your face. Can this be true? Give us faith. By your Spirit, help us to remember when we forget. By your Spirit, Help us to put away and be washed of our pride and all our worldly, bad, ideology-oriented, secular justice. Help us to live and walk in your justice. Help us to live and walk in your love. May we look into your face and know that we who are so unjust and so dirty have been washed. Your name is on our foreheads. And when we look at other people, may we look at them with this great potentiality and start asking them this very simple question. What are your gifts? They're from you, Lord Jesus. Make us a church and a community of justice, true justice. And may it ring out beautifully in this very unjust and broken city of man so that we, as your people, as your church, would shine forth something of the great, glorious gospel counterculture of the ultimate city of God, Zion. We thank you that this is our hope and that we get to walk in this life. And all that we do for you in this way will never be forgotten. It will be gifted to so many others. We can't wait to see what those glories are yield the yield of the fruit that comes from the tree of life praise in jesus name